1: Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to Face Connecticut. I'm Morgan Cunningham on WTIC News Talk 1080, Light 100.5 WRCH and 96.5 TIC. This morning we're going to be talking about pharmacies particularly big pharmacy issues that impact everybody nationwide, but we're going to boil it down and figure out just how these issues are impacting us here in Connecticut. Our guest is the CEO of the Connecticut Pharmacists Association, Dr. Nathan Tinker. Nathan, good to have you on the program this morning. Thank you, Morgan, Happy to be here. We're going to start with a pretty broad question, Nathan. I want to get a summary from you on what it means to have Connecticut pharmacies prescribing birth control to women. It's part of a major proposal that is before the Connecticut legislature this year. Um, it came up just about a month ago at this point now. There have been a number of public comment periods on it and events promoting
0: it. What does it mean? It's a, uh, a great place to, to think about what role pharmacists can play in the community and how they can uh, support uh, public health. The a uh, question about um, uh, pharmacists prescribing birth control is actually coming from three different sources right now. Um, the governor uh, uh, um, first put it forward back uh, in January, um, and uh, Lieutenant Governor Biesowitz has been going around the state uh, talking about it and doing some interviews and updates about where that is. There's also a separate bill put forward by Senators uh, Fazio and Summers Um, that essentially speaks to the same issue. And then the Department of Consumer Protection, which is the agency that actually oversees pharmacy in the state of Connecticut, has included it in their legislative priorities and recommendations uh, for the current legislative session. So there's three routes um, for this to uh, uh, reach the governor's desk. Um, The main argument is that Pharmacists are the most accessible and uh, uh, neighborhood oriented uh, healthcare provider there is. So, allowing women to have access to prescriptive uh, uh, birth control prescriptions just at their local pharmacy instead of having to wait for a doctor's appointment, uh, travel time, et cetera, um, makes it more accessible makes health uh, birth control uh, easier to access, and more equitable because pharmacies and pharmacists are in literally every neighborhood in, um, in, in Connecticut. In all of uh, America, for example, everyone, 95% of Americans live within five miles of a pharmacy, and that's true here in Connecticut as well. But amazingly, here in Connecticut, there are actually about 180,000 women who don't have, who live in, well, put it this way, they live in what's called a a, a birth control desert or contraception desert, meaning they don't have easy access uh, to uh, women's health care for a variety of reasons, including consolidation of uh, health systems, uh, pharmacies, I'm sorry, uh, hospitals, closing, and that sort of thing. So this bill would really give Connecticut's women uh, a way to access birth control that makes it fast, easy, and equitable. And that's where it all comes down to.
1: You mentioned the phrase contraception desert, and I've heard from a number of people that since this has been introduced in Connecticut, some people are saying that this is the first time they've heard those two words put together, contraception desert. So let me ask you this. Is this something that has been discussed and debated before in the country Elsewhere, Is this the first time that's been brought up here in Connecticut? I don't know how much this issue has been talked about.
0: So it's, it's actually, um, there are a number of uh, sources out there talking about uh, uh, women's health care and ease of access to it. So the, the term uh, contraception desert actually goes back, I believe, 15 or 20 years in all. Um, it's it's nothing new to the rest of the country. Uh, it may be new to Connecticut, but one of the reasons that it's new to Connecticut is especially in the northwest and eastern parts of the state, you're seeing um, hospitals uh, that are either consolidating or, or cost-cutting doing away with access to maternity care and, and women's health care. So the definition for a contraception desert, um, I think, is put forward by a group I believe is called uh, Power to Decide. And that their definition is that it's a space where um, easy access to maternity care uh, is more than forty minutes away from a uh, a woman a woman is more than 40 minutes away from from access to maternity care. So that has to do with, you know, location, um, with ease of access and that sort of thing. So it's not a new phrase. It may be new to Connecticut. And it, I, honestly, you know, we live in one of the most uh, 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 well-developed uh, states in, in the United States. And that's probably why this is new is to think about the fact that, you know, even in a place like Connecticut, you could have areas where women's health care is, is difficult to get to. And, um, you know, bills like this make that.
1: Dr. Nathan Tinker, the CEO of the Connecticut Pharmacists Association, is with us this morning on Face Connecticut. And we're going to spend a bit of the time talking about the topic of whether or not Connecticut pharmacies can prescribe birth control or not. You mentioned that there are several different avenues for this to get passed in Connecticut. The different bills themselves, though, are they different?
0: I think they're um, going to be all pretty similar. They're, you know three different paths the um, department of consumer protection uh, and sorry, the, the general law committee uh, which oversees the department of consumer protection is actually uh, holding a hearing this afternoon uh, this is Mon- uh, Tuesday um, on this very issue so this is one of the bills that's going to be uh, discussed in uh, the general law committee and that is the DCP bill as I mentioned um, the Approach is all essentially the same. Give pharmacists the ability to prescribe and distribute hormonal birth control to women, uh, you know, as they request it. Um, there's a process in all those uh, situations, um, and the, even though the exact regulations for it have not yet been written, uh, the general consensus is that um, it would require pharmacists to take a two to three hour um, certification course uh which would go into things like counseling um contraindications uh uh you know what are some of the other medications that a woman is taking that that might interfere or interact with uh birth control uh, and so forth and um this is nothing new i uh Connecticut, i'm sorry california and oregon have had this on the books since 2016 and since then, more than 20 states have granted this authority to pharmacists um, and all have had great success with it. Um, in fact, the reasons women seek out uh, birth control at the pharmacy as opposed to uh, their doctor um, is ease of access.
1: Is there any level of anonymity or, you know, if a woman is going up to a pharmacist that she might not know or a pharmacy that she's not used to, um, are they going to know who she is? Is she going to be able to have this conversation with the pharmacist separate from uh, other people that might be in line? How would that look?
0: So yeah, absolutely. There would, there would be a count- Most pharmacies now have a, a separate counseling room of one sort or another anyway. Um, it's become more and more important uh, under HIPAA law, um, as well as just uh, 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 patient privacy, to ha- be able to have those conversations away from the uh, the cashier register and so forth so that would be part of the regulation is that um you know there has to be a space uh to have these sorts of of private conversations away from the rest of the crowd
1: and would this cause any kind of a delay in pharmacies like you know would it would it slow down other people from getting their prescriptions or getting checked out faster or are pharmacies going to be able to handle the kind of load that would be seen from
0: this it will certainly change um, a little bit of the uh, the dynamic and the workflow for the pharmacist. But that said, modern pharmacies are, are pretty well set up to handle um, these sorts of uh, pharmacy services to begin with. Um, they're staffed by uh, regular pharmacists who oversee pharmacy technicians. Um, and those pharmacy teams are well equipped both in training and uh, scheduling to be able to handle these sorts of, of, of challenges now i know that you know pharmacies are busy places and that's a sign though of success right that uh, pharmacy is a place where you can get a lot of things done uh um, including uh prescriptions and and uh, um, uh in this case birth control but they are built to handle that sort of, of pressure and to you know additional. Um, uh, programming within their their workflow, they will be able to handle this without problem.
1: And when we think about pharmacies in Connecticut, there are several that are major corporations, and they're almost in every single town, if not, uh, you know, within every three towns or so. But there are also some smaller pharmacies in Connecticut as well. Would the rollout, if this were to be passed, would the rollout look different at smaller, independently owned pharmacies compared to the
0: major pharmacies? I don't think so. I think independent pharmacies have been um, eager to take on um, more uh, service related uh, opportunities. In fact, they might be better positioned in some ways because they are so tied into their local communities from from that standpoint. They know their their uh, 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 patients in sometimes in ways that larger chains don't. On a one to one basis, and they have already been working to uh, provide uh, medication management services and some other uh, um, uh, pharmacy provided, uh, pharmacy centered services. And this would just accent and, and support those as well.
1: Would it be harder for pharmacies and pharmacists to predict just how much birth control they might need to have on hand for women? Um, Compared to what they might have now, where they have an idea what they should have, but if you've got people that are showing up unannounced looking for a prescription, would it be hard to manage how much birth control is actually on hand?
0: That's a good question. My guess in that sense, and this is a guess, is you would look to uh, history, right? You've looked at the other 20 states um, that have been able uh, that have this authority and um, use data to uh, figure that out. Um, In most cases. Um pharmacies, if they don 't have something in stock on a given day, can have it in stock the next day um, that 's not always true but very often true um and a little bit of experience will uh, will go a long way in in this case. So, like I said, you know, looking to the other states that have done this and the data they've collected would be uh, would be the place to start.
1: What are you hearing about the proposals to allow Connecticut pharmacies to prescribe birth control? Are you hearing a lot of positive remarks about it? Are you hearing a lot of concerns or complaints about it?
0: Um, Pharmacists are excited about it. Uh, This is something that they train for in school to begin with. It is one of part of the curriculum at uh, UConn School of Pharmacy and the the, uh, University of St. Joseph uh, School of Pharmacy here in Connecticut. Um, uh, They are ready to provide this service. Um, There are, of course, some Business challenges for the the uh, the stores themselves to integrate it. But those were business challenges. That's not the ability or desire or training of the pharmacist to take part. And we just have to make sure though that in all of this too, there are uh, equitable and fair ways to reimburse pharmacies and pharmacists for this uh, for this work. because on the one hand, um pharmacies are are reimbursed for the cost of the drug. And usually a dispensing fee if it's a regular prescription, but not necessarily for the consultation time. And so we just want to make sure that um, as this rolls out, uh, there are protocols and uh, uh, remedies in place to make sure that that the pharmacists and pharmacies are are reimbursed appropriately for the the service.
1: This morning on Face Connecticut, our guest is Dr. Nathan Tinker. He is the CEO of the Connecticut Pharmacists Association. Glad to have him on. And I'd like to shift gears a little bit. We spent About half of the program now talking about birth control and Connecticut pharmacies prescribing it to women. I'd like to shift over to another major issue that we hear about all the time, whether it's an election, a non-election. It could be just the average day, and you're hearing people talking about drug prices as well. Where are we in the country on the issue of drug prices? Let's just start with that general question.
0: (laughs) That's a big question, of course, right? Uh, um, well, I, I think that when it comes to, to pharmacists and pharmacies, you have to remember that the price you pay at the counter or the price that the pharmacist asks a, a patient to pay is uh, they didn't decide on that price all right um, The copay and the cost of the drug are are you know decided upon farther up the uh, Uh, upstream by the manufacturers um, by uh, what are called pharmacy benefit managers which are the organizations that um, manage uh, pharmacy benefits for uh, insurance companies Um, and so you know the pharmacist often gets caught um, as the middleman right that he's the one or she's the one at the counter who has to tell a patient that you know their uh, insurance doesn't cover a particular uh, prescription or um, that, uh, you know, their copay is different than they had hoped or expected. And so the pharmacist is the one who has to, to face that angry patient and, and, and try to counsel them through that process. So when we talk about you know, the price you pay at the counter versus the cost of it over the course. Um, you know, pharmacists are, are are kind of caught in the middle there. And we need to think, talk a little bit about PBMs and their role in all of this, because they're set up to, um, uh, you know, manage the, uh, the pharmacy benefits in a way that at the end of the day, they're largely, um, uh, unregulated. Uh, only in the last couple of years have we seen a big, uh, sig- a significant movement to regulate uh, PBMs at the at the state level, and they're the ones who actually kind of uh, they're the ones that actually set the price that the pharmacist has to ask for at the end of the day, and then they reimburse the pharmacist for the cost uh, of of that drug and. Very often, they will reimburse at less than the wholesale cost of that drug. So a pharmacist might be buying a drug at, say, $100 a bottle. Um, but the PBM reimburses them for that particular drug at only $90 a bottle. So there's a $10 loss there that uh, the pharmacist has to absorb in the larger uh, uh uh, business of the organization, and those are the sort of issues that that you know kind of happen in the background and and affect drug prices um, that we don't n- normally see now in the um, inflation uh, act of last year, one of the uh, elements of that was to allow the allow Medicare to negotiate drug prices, which they've never been allowed to do. You know, the only organization that has been allowed to negotiate drug prices on their own is the uh, is the VA. So when Medicare is able to negotiate these prices. Then you're going to see a lot of of movement in the way pricing takes place in the leverage the the government has to uh, affect those prices. And then at the day, hopefully, you'll see that um, in the consumer's pocket as savings uh, downstream at 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 the pharmacy counter.
1: We are also coming out of a period where a lot of COVID procedures and medications were also covered, but that is soon to be expiring, correct?
0: Yes. And And somewhat confusingly, too. (laughs) Um, Part of the uh, COVID authorities and and mandates and so forth will uh, uh, end on May 11th. Um, Some of them, which are uh, enacted purely under the authorities of the the PREP Act, um, will sunset in October of 2024. And we're still kind of working through with the government which will end at which time. Um, On May 11th, uh, we know that a lot of the Medicaid and Medicare um, cost supports and co-pays and so forth will disappear. So there will be a significant impact on on that uh, at that standpoint. Um, Also, the government is going to stop paying for COVID vaccines themselves. So. You know, insurers, for the most part, will continue to pay for it, but if you are uninsured or underinsured, um, the cost of a COVID vaccine will start coming out of your pocket, and the, the, you know, pricing we've seen on that is somewhere between $100 and $150 uh, per immunization. So, there are going to be some significant changes, especially around COVID specifically, that you're going to see um, uh, very shortly here, and um, I think... We're not necessarily prepared for uh, how those changes are going to affect uh, our access to healthcare.
1: How could it be better prepared?
0: Well, a lot of other states, well, a lot of states have begun um, taking the uh, authorities granted under the PrEP Act and uh, COVID uh, authorities and codifying them into state law so that they become permanent um, under state law and not um, simply. Uh, dependent upon federal law. Uh, at the same time, um, there are a couple of movements in Congress to make these uh, same rules permanent at the federal level. Um, that would go a long way to, one, making sure that everyone in the United States has the same uh, level of, of uh, access and uh the same rules to adhere to when it comes to uh large parts of of the pharmacy space and two make sure that families and our our our, our citizens have the same levels of access and um ease that they had during COVID. and one of the things that has been important to all of this is that allowing people to get their COVID and flu vaccines at the pharmacy means quick and easy access, right? Pharmacists delivered over 300 million COVID vaccines over the last couple of years. When you add to that, that they've also been had the authority to give flu vaccines and childhood uh, scheduled vaccines to children age three and up, that means that you know families have been able to go to their pharmacy and get their uh, their Tdap and uh, and so forth without having to wait for an appointment at the pediatrician uh, which you know these days can take weeks or months um, and all of that is in danger of disappearing that sort of easy access to particularly immunization and vaccination services for children and young adults is part of what may disappear um, with the end of the uh, of the COVID uh, uh, pandemic rules.
1: Will there be signage at Connecticut pharmacies alerting consumers that these changes are coming, particularly with the COVID prices and COVID costs? Because it doesn't seem to me that the general public is necessarily aware that they're coming.
0: I would agree with you on on, on that. Uh, uh, It's one of those issues that, you know, kind of occasionally pops up in the news and so forth. But until, uh, you know, uh, until those rules actually start disappearing, it's going to – not really hit the, uh, uh, the sentiment of, 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 uh, of people's, uh, day-to-day lives. Um, I'm sure that, uh, pharmacies will be well prepared to answer those questions when that time comes and when we have the answers. And that's part of the problem here too, as I said earlier, is that, um, exactly what is going to sunset when, um, is still a little bit unclear and, uh, cpa uh, along with um, a lot of uh, all the other state associate, uh, pharmacy associations as well as the uh, uh, national community pharmacists association and the national association of uh, chain drug stores have written a letter to um, cms and cdc asking for clarification because uh right now no one on the federal side is kind of giving <laughs> a good explanation of what's going to uh, disappear when and how we need to prepare for it so uh, there's work to be done on that front between now and may 11th and hopefully sooner than later we'll have some answers and be able to prepare uh, our patients and customers for those for those changes
1: Nathan, it has been a pleasure getting an update from you and several of your perspectives this morning. Speaking, of course, on Face Connecticut with Dr. Nathan Tinker, CEO of the Connecticut Pharmacists Association. There are other issues we could have brought up and talked about, but we'll have to save those for another episode. Is there anything else, any final thoughts on what we discussed this morning that you'd like to circle back on or add more to that you didn't get a chance to? Well,
0: the one thing I'd I'd, I'd reiterate is that pharmacies are the – Closest point of contact of healthcare for every community, and allowing people to have easy, safe access to uh, pharmacy services uh, will go a long way to to uh, creating equity and to uh, access for uh, not only women in the birth control space, but uh, families and so forth across the across the board. So. Um, You know, pharmacists are are there, ready and able, and uh, I'm I'm glad to see that we're finally starting to recognize the important role pharmacists can play uh, at a public health level uh, here in Connecticut.
1: Thank you so much for coming on Face Connecticut this morning. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio.